Good afternoon. This is Chris Lidley. I'm here today with Chris Nokomagilar, who's the founder and CEO of Dealforma. Dealforma is a biopharmaceutical database platform that provides comprehensive information and support to analysts conducting business development research. Yeah, good afternoon, Chris. Thanks for joining the, the Rx for Biotech podcast uh, this afternoon. How are you doing? Good. Thanks, Chris. Nice. You got two Chris's on the podcast today. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been good. Um, we've known each other now for just a couple of months. It's been, been a great partnership. It's been great getting to know you. And I'd love to maybe start there, Chris, for our, for our audience. And before we dive into what's going on in the biotech industry right now, just a little bit more about your background and experience in the life sciences sector. Great. Thanks. Just a quick background about myself and how I ended up uh, on the biopharma business side. I actually started out as a scientific researcher at the University of California in San Francisco. Uh, worked at a great lab over there, and we were doing PCR in the epidemiology setting. So back uh, back before it was a buzzword. Okay, so fast forward a few years to um, when I jumped over to the to the consulting and data side of things. Joined a, a boutique consultancy. Uh, that was managing partnerships for biotech companies and pharma companies and have really stayed on that side of the industry ever since. I worked at a few of the big firms and a few of the consulting firms um, in, in the industry here. And then in 2017, I started Dealforma. Uh, and now we're at a, a pretty nice size team covering uh, deals, venture fundraising, pipelines of companies. And uh, our customers range from the smallest biotechs and spinouts all the way to the largest pharma and as investment banks and, and financial firms as well. The data that we cover, uh, and most of which I'll be using today and, and some of the stats we'll be looking at, you know, we'll, we'll be looking at licensing transactions and uh, the deal comparables around those, venture fundraising and, and IPOs and follow-ons, and then also uh, M&A transactions along the way. So definitely looking forward to diving right into it. It's, it's been an interesting start to the year, you know, very different from the, the last year uh, when we were sitting or we hitting records everywhere, but um, you know, it's cycles, right? So we're here to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Chris, I mean, we're seeing, of course, the, you know, depending on which index you look at, I mean, bio index is down, you know, and depending on the day, I know today we've had a big down uh, downturn in the market, but we're down nearly 50% from a year ago. Um, what, what do you think is actually going on? Uh, what's the backstory here in the equity markets? You know, I think the the big run up that we had really started uh, probably 2016, 2017, and, and definitely in the in the venture fundraising space as well. Uh, but on the public side, it, it got so hot that you know you you got the generalists uh, investing uh, into into biotechs, uh, which really drove the the run up. And then as soon as things um, turned around a little bit, um, they all exited, and so that's why we're seeing the big exits. You know, ever since I think about definitely. Uh, more than 12 months, but you know, it is, it is all the way down. So it's definitely hurting on the public side stocks down. All of a sudden you're reading stories of, uh, of, of layoffs and, um, you know, wrapped around bad clinical news. So, um, it's definitely not the, um, not the story that we were seeing, you know, back in 2016, all the way to the run up to 2020, 2021. Yeah, it certainly looks like this cycle is going to continue for a bit longer. You know, what, what, what do you think this will mean for deal making for biopharma for the rest of the year? Um, I think, you know, there's the thing is the, the, the big pharma companies seem to have uh, a lot of cash on hand to do deals. And of course, everyone is, 
eagerly waiting for big M&A transactions, which, you know, really just keep the gears moving. But also on the licensing side, in terms of deal making for the rest of the year, we're going to see a lot more deals being signed with with some risk mitigation built in. So meaning maybe less of the deal in upfront cash and equity, more of it in the backside of the deal and in uh, milestones and definitely sales milestones. So the the in licensors and the buyers will definitely want to be more careful. Um, I think there was pressure on valuations going up and up uh, over the last uh, couple of years of deal making as the um, as a, the private investment space was was definitely um, uh, a plenty. I think uh, so. Uh, it's going to be kind of the, the turn for the in licensors and the buyers, really a little bit more of a buyer's market now, um, whereas we were uh, definitely in a seller's market going into this. Yeah, Chris, I'm actually a little surprised we haven't seen uh, more deal making. Here we are sort of, you know, getting ready to enter enter May of 2022. Um, interesting, some even some companies who are kind of reluctant to, to, to do deals are getting in. I, I mean, I recall just recent news how Regeneron just recently scooped up a beaten down stock or company uh, checkmate pharmaceuticals for 250 million in cash, which is crazy. It was like, I think they're 82%, more than 80% off their peak um, from just 2020 for a new immuno oncology uh, pipeline asset, you know, do you think we're going to see more of those types of acquisitions? I mean, there, you know, there's a lot of emerging biotechs that are trading at huge discounts right now. Yeah, and a lot of them, and and some of them even trading below cash. Um, I think we will see a few more of those types of deals. The ones that you know just uh, they want to get out, get out early, not really have to go through a, a downturn or a down cycle. It, you know, there's there's memories of. 2008, 2009, and a little bit, a little bit of this when, you know, the broader markets were uh, were selling off, obviously for different reasons, but biotech hung on a little bit longer, I think, um, until about 2009 when we started seeing downturns there. Um, so definitely feels like that um, on the M&A side of things. You know, this quarter uh, definitely is just a stark contrast in what we were seeing in in kind of much of 2021, uh, and even that was low. Um, and 2020 was was low as well uh, for M and A. Okay, we're, we, when we start talking about um, licensing and venture, you know, there's different records being set there. But for the first quarter of 2022, uh, we only really just saw a total of 8.8 billion dollars in um, in announced uh, M and A transactions within the biopharma space. That's coming off of a, a quarter uh, Q4 where we where we had 67 billion. And 61 billion before that. I mean, we are seeing huge uh, acquisitions happening, just not the mega mergers that the industry got used to over the past few years, um, kind of leading up to the cell chain BMS acquisitions and so forth. So, um, numbers of transactions. Uh, last quarter, we just clocked in 70 uh, acquisitions or MA transactions. That's not counting SPACs and those types of mergers, but that is that is quite a low number. We we haven't seen um, that low of a quarter, uh, really going back to about uh, Q1 of 2018. So it's definitely quiet on the M&A side. Uh, total dollars, we would probably go back to about the first quarter of 2020, right when everything was, you know, when when the world was changing in 2020. Interesting. I think, as we mentioned there, with many of these biotech companies trading in multi-year lows, I, I suspect that as we go through the year. Big Pharma will open up their their checkbooks, so to speak, and, um, and and snap up some more of these of these companies. What, what what sectors do you think you know are hot right now for and you know or at least 
where do you think big pharma is looking right now from an M&A perspective? What are the hot sectors in, within biopharma? Yeah, uh, well, within, within biopharma, definitely, you know, cell therapy and gene therapy and a little bit around that more kind of broadly immunotherapy. Those, those two subsectors have been hot for, for at least, you know, two or three years, um, both in terms of acquisition activity and also licensing and fundraising. Uh, and we'll look into that uh, in a minute. But um, those areas definitely, you know, I think will we'll continue to attract more uh, investment and, uh, and big pharma activity in particular. Just outside of biopharma, we do also attract the the servicing organizations the the contract development and manufacturing organizations and M&A activity in that sector has has actually continued uh, to increase uh, year over year since 2018 so that is one area that uh, is definitely seeing more acquisition activity um, i think there are some you know there's some consolidation to be had there especially among uh, the smaller players in the space, you know, leading up to the, the bigger ones like the, you know, the, the Catalans and Lanzas and so forth, the manufacturers there. And of course, that also ties in with, with cell therapy and gene therapy, which is quite dependent on, on um, sophisticated manufacturing. So those are the areas that are doing pretty well, I think, uh, both in M&A and, and across, you know, other, um, other types of deals. Really in terms of what, uh, what big pharma is looking for, it's always a it's always a guess, but I think it's um, it's also going to be more you know risk aware kind of deals that are structured in a way to to mitigate uh, some of the big risks associated with um, with big clinical catalysts, uh, especially when those turn out uh, not not as favorable as they had you know valued them going in. Yeah, interesting. I I wonder you know I've seen some. Uh, big pharma companies sort of, you know, return assets as well. Or when I've seen some of the new deals, looks like the deal structures are changing too, or maybe less, less upfront. I mean, how do you think the deal structures are likely to evolve uh, to mitigate risk or in light of this environment? Do you see that structure of the deals changing at all? Um, yeah, I think so a little bit. We had some early indication of, of, of deals, just like you mentioned, where the, the sellers would offload certain assets that either were not going to be valued into the um, acquisition or, and, you know, this is not counting other types of like regulatory uh, sell-offs, but, uh, you know, spinning off into a, a separate um, entity, a separate company, just to manage those, those spun-off assets to make the, the valuation calculus work out for the acquisition. It's going to be a still, you know, until until things really like equate, there's there's still going to be a gap between what the the sellers are valuing uh, the companies, what the buyers are willing to pay for. Um, and I think we started seeing a little bit of that even last year, uh, as we were hearing from from deal makers at Big Pharma saying that oftentimes deals don't get done just because the the negotiation just can't move forward because there's such a such a big gap in terms of what's being expected. In terms of deal structures themselves, classically for M&A, we're, we're probably going to continue to see more of the deal, the deal value pushed off into contingent payments, whether that be in, in uh, CVRs specifically or just um, typical milestone payments, or even in some cases, uh, percentage earnouts on products if the deals were a little bit further along. Uh, we are seeing companies being acquired earlier on. So um, early stage acquisitions going into um, even, you know, preclinical and, and platform stages. Uh, when we look at the, the big pharma's acquisition activity um, over the past few years uh, in, in 2021, 
uh, about 30% of the deals were uh, were in, in preclinical and earlier stages. And then the rest were kind of fragmented, you know, about 10% each for phase one, two, three, and so forth. And that's that percentage has been rising uh, year over year. So they are going earlier stage, and we do see that in licensing as well. Yeah, Chris, let's turn to venture investing in the IPO market. Tell us, what does is, what is your analysis say right now about IPO activity? I, I understand that's way down as well. Uh, you know, what's going on there? Yeah, IPO activity just um, seems like everything just uh, stopped in the first quarter. Um, although just in the in the past few days, we did see a few more um, price out. We had uh, just about $500 million in um, in kind of overall biopharma. And, and healthcare and life sciences IPOs go in, in the first quarter. That's based on the ones I completed. Out of those, uh, I think nine of them that went out, some of them were actually filed in uh, in 2021, and they just finished off in um, in the first quarter of, of 22. If we look back at uh, the years prior, I mean, we just had uh, you know crazy amounts of activity going up uh, up through I would say about Q2 of 2021, where we hit a record of uh, $11 billion in IPOs. Actually, I'll take that back. It was just a little bit larger in Q1 of 2021, uh, $12 billion in IPOs there uh, closing out, and, and a majority of those in, in biopharma therapeutics and platforms. So the records that we're coming down from are things like um, you know big deals that we signed, big IPOs that, that came out, $4.7 billion in biopharma therapeutics and platforms. Stacked on top of that, $4.6 billion in just other healthcare and life sciences mainly servicing companies and so forth. And really the, the delta there was was also diagnostics and med tech and you know digital health as well. Uh, when we look at the broader um, healthcare space um, outside of biopharma, that number is even larger. Uh, when we look at things like healthcare management, uh, insure tech and all those, and it kind of gets into more into financial technology at that point as well. Um, so we had a lot of activity, right? So we're coming down off this big high. Whatever uh, was filed and completed finished in, in uh, kind of 2021 and a few more this year. Uh, when we go back, uh, and we're going to be talking about venture as well, when we look at uh, kind of crossover round activity, there's, there's a kind of a, a lengthening gap uh, between, between crossover and uh, IPO filing. Now that you know, we're hitting probably about uh, seven to eight months from the crossover round to, to IPO, uh, and that was a little bit shorter in, in the prior years, about six months there. And of course, it's it's funny to think that you know you go from crossover to IPO in six months, but because that used to be eighteen months and two years in, in years before two thousand twenty two thousand and nineteen, but that's kind of what what the industry got used to. You know, a very very quick round to round um, turnover, and uh, going out to IPO. Companies were filing IPOs in in preclinical and platform stages, and I think some might look back and say that maybe some companies should not have gone public that soon. But you know, there's there's money to be had, and there's money you know investment money to be had, so they they took advantage of it. Yeah, uh, just staying with that theme for just a moment, Chris. I mean. I- as I follow the news, I see that many emerging biotech companies start to see again layoffs as these companies are just hungry to conserve cash and extend their runways out a few more quarters, hoping to get through this bear market we're in. How will these companies be able to raise cash, and keep their lead asset going in the pipeline, come out the other side? You got to think that there's still more dry powder, and I think there definitely is. Um, we're, we're still reading 
announcements of of the funds themselves raising you know larger and larger funds. So there is you know more money to invest. Um, it has to get you know put to good use. There's the feeling that that it's going into the same companies rather than forming new companies. Although uh, we are you know still seeing a healthy number of companies getting started out, and we look at that both in terms of company starts, but also uh, seed and Series A rounds. Uh, when we do look at seed and Series A. Okay, um, across uh, different therapy areas, uh, you know, it's no surprise that that cancer and and uh, neurobiology and autoimmune kind of lead in terms of attracting new investments. Uh, when we look at it in terms of uh, modalities, uh, biologics, kind of of all forms, really, um, still bring in the most bucks for uh, for investment. Kind of followed by by small molecule. That's kind of where most of the activity is. When we look at it in terms of round sizes and averages, though. Cell therapy and gene therapy uh, are bringing in the huge rounds. I mean, seventy-two million dollars as a as an average uh, venture round for for cell therapy. On the gene therapy side, thirty-nine million, forty million, kind of sixty-eight million in in twenty twenty-one. A little bit higher there. In terms of what therapies they're going after, it's still the more complex, the more advanced types of therapies that are taking in the uh, the most kind of the largest rounds, the most investment dollars. But the activity still seems to be, um, you know, quite hot in in the other kind of more classical um, therapeutics as well. We we know that that cell therapy clinical development landscape has been white hot now. It's been a lot of investment going into this novel modality of especially in the cell-based immuno-oncology space where the data shows that uh, nearly 60% of clinical trials are, uh, you know, are now for the treatment of one form of cancer, whether it's hematologic or solid tumors. You would think that, you know, it's certainly one of the, one of the hotter modalities for investment, right? I mean, what, what, what other modalities you think are, uh, will remain hot throughout the year? You know, the, the targeted protein space, the targeted protein degradation space is um, still attracting a lot of attention. Um, some big deals being announced there. Uh, and it's, you know, still continues. We might want to possibly look for some new uh, companies to join in. The, the classical ones they typically read about uh, in the TPD space are, are still there. Obviously, they're still doing deals. That's, that's in targeted protein. You know, you have synthetic biology. Then you also have synthetic lethality, kind of a different, two different uh, groups there, obviously, but both of those continue to attract uh, more attention. I think if we if we turn to synthetic biology, you, you start to attract uh, investment dollars from from kind of the non-typical uh, biopharma investors as well, um, as you look into um, high tech and manufacturing and all that. So I think we'll, we'll continue to see more activity there. Obviously, you turn to NASDAQ and, and that's not doing very well in the last couple of days, last, uh, last month for sure. But, um, you still read about very large investment rounds uh, going into uh, private companies outside of biotech. So you'd like to see some of that investment coming in um, across there as well. I mean, you touched briefly on venture investing. I just wondering if you could come back to that for a moment, and just talk a little bit more about the trends you see in venture investing, you know, for the rest of the year as well. Yeah, I mean, if you look at um, the run up in um, kind of the different series as as um, companies start to attract more and more venture, really going back to 2016, 2017, we we did see the averages for early stage rounds, the Series A's, go up. And then as companies went in for their second and third rounds, mostly second rounds, uh, we started seeing the Series B averages go up as well, um, hitting uh, $91 million average, $90, $92 million average more recently uh, for the Series Bs. And, and that was all really just uh, dependent on a, on a very healthy 
IPO market, very healthy M&A market as well to really make that entire uh, trade, if you will, uh, make it work. With IPOs kind of falling out, uh, I think what we're going to continue to see is more investment dollars, possibly into later and later series. So um, series C's and D's will go up. We we did have a, a fairly large series D investment in 2022, just this first quarter for a company called Calliope for $236 million. So that was a, a bit of a uh, an outlier when we look at the charts. Uh, definitely a huge Series D round investment there. But um, I, I do think we will see more later stage investments um, for, for companies that are able to attract healthy venture investments in the absence of IPOs, you know, just longer timelines, basically. Let's look into our crystal ball here, Chris, and, and look ahead for Biopharma 2022 and beyond. What do you think that investment landscape is going to look like for the remainder of the year? What, what is your forecast? Um, you know, everyone's going to be a lot more careful, I think, uh, because the, the next round of investment is not as guaranteed anymore, you know, which I think, you know, we, you know again, going back to cycles um, and, and for those that um, have been in biopharma, uh, corporate development and business development, you know, for a while, even from the last downturn and kind of upturn, uh, we'll kind of know that and they'll expect it. I think, you know, what's really going to keep things driving uh, going forward is also going to be licensing. Okay, those upfront payments, the upfront cash and equity payments uh, from licensing transactions, the non-equity, I mean, sorry, the non-dilutive investments there are still going to continue to to drive uh, R&D at smaller companies, you know, well into phase one and phase two when, when things typically are licensed out to, uh, to big pharma. Early stage licensing definitely is going to is going to continue. Um, although everything's going to have more of a uh, kind of a, a, a more careful approach, um, you might not see the 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 mega rounds or the the mega licensing deals uh, come in as often as we we had before, just because again the the buyers can now have kind of uh, more of a chance to be careful, uh, and they're not going to miss out on that many deals. I think with things turning into a more of a buyer's market. Although one thing I, I don't think we're going to see is we're not going to see fire sales. Hopefully, you know, pharma is not really in a position to 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 buy things at at very low values. Um, they're they're really looking for still, and they always have been. They're looking for hot assets, and and unfortunately, in some cases, um, there are not that many around in terms of the hottest uh, compounds or the the hottest clinical uh, histories. And so, um, they're going to be careful in terms of what they're buying and and also what they're paying for. Um, I think with um, with the financing side of things tightening up or, or even shutting down completely in terms of IPOs, that might be quiet for a while. Venture will continue uh, and will continue into later stage series as well. And then on the licensing side, um, I, I do think that uh, we'll see more transactions uh, happening as companies kind of license out their uh, their assets that they developed into you know even early stages. Chris, appreciate your insights. How should our audience get a hold of you if they'd like to contact you or work with you to better understand, or, or maybe they need help with reports or a presentation or help targeting companies for upcoming licensing or partnership meetings. What's the best way for them uh, to reach you? Um, I'm available on uh, the usual channels on socials. So on, uh, on Twitter, I'm at uh, Chris Doko. Dealforma.com is uh, our company, the database uh, where we track uh, licensing, venture, IPO, and M&A and all types of transactions uh, across biopharma. Uh, we typically um, help out customers that are looking to do um, very specific deal comps exercises with the database that goes back many years uh, or even broader benchmarking exercises. So charts, data, it's all coming at you that way. 
thanks again, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again for all the great insights. And let's, right. hope, uh, let's hope we exit 22 in a better place than, than where we entered, entered the year in the biotech space. So um, thank you again. Definitely. Thank you, Chris. 